This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Thursday afternoon. Thanks for spending part of your afternoon with us. It has been more than three years since a tragedy wove deep into Calgary's history. Five young people murdered at a house party celebrating the end of university. The killer, their friend. Time may heal all wounds, but this wound is so massive, true healing may never happen. However, the young men who hosted the party are starting to understand the underlying cause of such a tragedy and coming to some troubling conclusions. Brendan McCabe and Joe Renault rented the Brentwood home where the unthinkable happened that fateful night in April of 2014. And I am pleased to welcome to our studio. Hello, Brendan. Hey. And hi, Joe. Hey. Uh, we are also carrying this conversation live on Facebook if you want to go to News Talk 770's Facebook page and uh, check us out. I had someone ask me earlier today, why are we talking about this now? This was three years ago. Why do we have to bring this up again? And we're talking about it now because it was a couple of weeks ago that Brendan McCabe penned a very powerful opinion piece in vice.com. And I encourage you to go and read it. We've attached it to any of our Facebook or our websites as well. But a great article talking about society and its stigma around mental health. And throughout the seven years I've been on the air here, I've done my best to try to shine a spotlight on how we view the health of individuals, the mental health of individuals. Before I begin, though, I want to be clear that as much as we are going to be talking about the mental health of Matthew DeGrood, I want to make sure we still honor and pay tribute to the victims. So, uh, Brendan and Joe, I'm going to just, of course, uh, name one of the victims, and I'd love for you to tell me what you remember of them so, so we, we remember them as well. Joe, why don't I start with you? Jordan Segura. I met Jordan in high school. Um, he was goofy, caring, quickly became one of my closest friends um, and stayed that way um, as he became a roommate and uh, I got to know him better. Brendan, uh, Katie, Katie Paris. Uh, I also met Katie in high school. Uh, I had a big crush on her in grade 10, grade 11, um, and I met a bunch of friends through her. She was a, a great gal. She was fantastic. Lawrence Hong, Joe. Uh, I met Lawrence through Brendan and uh, some work that we did uh, with a nonprofit organization. Yeah, Lawrence and I met in university probably my second year, so I was about 19. Uh, we started in urban studies together and we took a transit class and um, <clears throat> we started a nonprofit together with a couple other classmates and uh, that transformed into kind of like my professional career as well. So, Josh Hunter, Joe? Josh was... Uh, a really big-hearted guy. I met him at school again. We were in a band together in the jazz band. Uh, just a huge heart, big smile. Zachariah Rathwell, who wants to talk Again, about? met him back in high school. Um, Zach was kind of like a wild child, but uh, I don't know, his rebel spirit, I guess, was kind of the same as mine, so we always got along. He was a little bit younger than me. Um, and as we got older, he got really, really into art. Uh, so as he was going to ACAD, we had a lot of the same friends and things like that. Matthew DeGrood. Um, <clears throat> well, as I said in the article, uh, I grew up with Matt. I met him probably in kindergarten, and uh, we became pretty inseparable from, like, kindergarten, grade one, um, and then just, like, grew up. We went to different junior highs and different high schools, but we kept in touch because we grew up in the same neighborhood. 
Joe Matthew DeGrude? Yeah, uh, he was one of the one of the few uh, guys in elementary school that uh, I got to be pretty close with and, and uh, spent a lot of time outside of school hanging out with. Uh, tried, he tried to teach me how to skateboard. That didn't go too well. Uh, but uh, we were always hanging out together. Now I want to talk about the fact that it has been over three years. And uh, Brendan, uh, you know what, you, you've said in your article, and I, I encourage people to read it, but why did you think it was important to share what you've been going through over the last three years? Right. So in the article, I kind of talked about how we've now, in, like from my position, we've moved, Matt and the whole case has moved beyond the criminal justice system and is now just a mental health issue um, more than anything else. And so for me, hearing the discussions, especially like it's already difficult enough every year going through these hearings. And I mean, that's just the system and it's, it's the brutality that's within the system. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. Um, but like I said in the article, we kind of just dress ourselves up and, and go through with it. But with that said, I got really tired of just hearing the same regressive arguments around the criminal justice system, um, as well as around mental illness. And quite frankly, it was really insensitive because when most people think that they're just, you know, making these assumptions around mental illness to do with Matt, <clears throat> I can say now that the five of us that were alive and like at, at the party at the house that night right after everything went down, and then as well as most of our friends that have been affected by this um, have now also been impacted by mental health in some way and have had to deal with this system that Matt isn't even forced to deal with yet, and it's failing them. And, like, by all intent and purpose, like, we are the, the best case scenario for people who should be going into the system. Like, we come from affluent families. Um, we're fairly well adjusted. We have like a schedule that we can move around for like work or school or whatever to make time for doctor's appointments. We have transportation. We have all of these things. Um, and yet more and more of my friends kind of slip through the cracks continually. And it's had a long standing impact. Um, for me, it delayed my, my post-secondary education that I had started. Um, it it kind of stopped quite a few other people's post-secondary educations like right in their tracks um, yeah, and it just put our lives on hold. I, you know, it was three years ago, and we, we've heard all about it through the trial and everything else, but in, in the briefest of terms, Joe, can you tell me about that night in April? Um, yeah. Um, we had uh, everyone over to our place. Um, we didn't really want to participate in the, the usual university Kafuffle wasn't really our uh, our cup of tea, so we did our own thing on the side. Um, had tons of people over, a lot of really good friends. Did a, a whole day of uh, celebrating. Celebrating, yeah. yeah. As like as anyone who is familiar with like the UFC culture or whatever, the like BSD Bermuda Shorts Day is a big deal. Um, we lived like ten minutes from the campus, so like Joe said, we didn't like doing that too much, um, and so. On BSD, no matter, like, what you do, people start partying at, like, 8 in the morning. Um, so our house, we started having friends over that were just coming to hang out and, like, watch cartoons and stuff. And so I was gone for most of the day. But, like, the party was was great. And, like, a, it was a good time up until... And it kind of actually died down yeah. more, more than yeah, anything it was before down. everything happened. Um, and like I said in the article, like, myself and Joe and a few other people, we had just left to go get some food. And uh, we just kind of like walked back into the, the mess that it was. 
You walked back into the mess, but before you walked back into it, wasn't Matthew leaving the house? Did you, were you guys just pulling up as Matthew was leaving, Joe? Um, yeah, I'm not sure how many details we want to get into, but yeah, yes, right as, completely right as we uh, were r- arriving, um, the incident that was unfolding was, was coming out the front door of the house. Yeah, Matt had left. Um, he bolted out the front door. I, uh, I ran after Matt. And <clears throat> everyone else just kind of went to the house. Um, we oh. didn't know what was going on right. then. So, you yeah. ran after him not knowing. And that's, I completely understand, Joe, as far as the details. But I wanted to be clear on you were going into a situation that you didn't know exactly what had happened in the house. Totally. I want to take a break here because we've set it up. Now I want to talk about the reason you're here and uh, society's perception around people who are dealing with mental illness how sometimes even friends don't know what other friends are going through. I'm Angela Coca. You're listening to Calgary Today on News Talk 770. You can text your thoughts, 403-974-8255. Probably after 3.30, uh, Joe and Brendan are nice enough to stay till 4 because I think this conversation is going to go in a number of different directions. But definitely text us your thoughts, and they will be taking phone calls as well at 3.30 as we talk about society and what we do think about those struggling with a mental health issue. We're back after this. And as we said, this happened three years ago. The city was rocked by the, the tragic murders in Brentwood, where five young lives were, were killed. Matthew DeGrood, he was deemed not criminally responsible. And a lot of, well, listeners, and I've got the texters as well, still very angry with that. Brendan McCabe, though, and Joe Renault um, were renting the house where this happened. Brendan, writing a, a piece in Vice.com, Having a chance to look at maybe the bigger picture here when it comes to how we view those who are struggling with a mental illness. I can imagine, though, Brendan, these thoughts didn't start to percolate in you uh, until many months after the tragedy. Because I'm just wondering how long it took for you to to have a different perspective on this. Right. um, I guess, like, well, right after everything happened, I mean, I was pretty devastated, as anyone could expect. Um... And I think at that point, I started, like, that's when you're in the throes of needing the assistance from, like, uh, mental health services and things. And and luckily enough, I, I got them. Uh, a lot of our friends did right off the bat. But it wasn't until, like, a year or two after. And, and really, the trial took, I think, two and a half, almost three years between. Before. Or before. Mm-hmm. So, so it was like, by the time it got to trial, we tried to move on with our lives and stuff, and then everything gets dug back up. And then it was at that point, I think, really when I started to realize like how difficult it was for me to access mental health and like continue going on with my life. Um, and then, yeah, just after the whole NCR finding and everything, I started to like just think about it a lot more. And it's impossible for me to erase the history that I have. Um, and same with Joe, same with a lot of our friends. Um, but more important than that, this is a much bigger issue now. It's no longer a criminal issue. Um, it's just a mental health issue. And so for the people who are angry that we're discussing it from the perspective of Matt, like, that's, that's fine. I don't expect you to sympathize for him. But how about for the rest of us and for the people who need mental health resources, like, right now? <clears throat> and Matt will have to come, like, he will be released and he'll be forced to go through the same process. And so if they're failing, like, non-acute cases right now, they will fail in the future again. And so, like, that's, that's the big reason for me, like, really. And so when I came to that realization, I don't know exactly when it was. But that's pretty much what's been driving this the whole time. 
Joel, I want to talk about you as a friend of Matthew DeGrood, and, and I touched on this. Did, did you have any idea what he was going through? Uh, it's a difficult question for me. Um, ultimately, no. No, I didn't. Um, Brendan, would you have known? It is a tough question. Um, it's, sorry to interrupt, uh, it's something that a lot of a lot of effort, a lot of uh, thinking has gone into for everyone who is involved because you're trying to figure out whether there's anything that you should have done differently or anything like that. And that's something that I think uh, we've put a lot of um, emotional resources into not considering because it's it may not be healthy for us to consider that. Yeah, and on top of that, I mean, like, it's important to to understand like warning signals and like things like that. Um, I will say, I guess for like the record or whatever, that that any it's the same thing I said for, for court and whatnot was that um, any sort of inkling that I ever had towards Matt's mental health or mental stability was I never ever thought that it would turn into violence against others. If anything, I thought he was going to hurt himself. Um, this is survivor's guilt you're talking about, really. Yeah. I, I mean, I, both I, you and Joe saying, when you look back, what what good is it doing? Uh, but you're probably dealing with what other people are saying. What? How did I... I spent, like, the last, like, three years thinking about what I did wrong and, like, what I could have done differently. What we could have done. What yeah. we and, like, the, the public, that's part of the discourse as well. And I'm fully aware of that, um, especially since publishing the article. I think more and more people feel that they would have done things differently or done... And, like... I can't tell them that they wouldn't have done something differently. But, like, the fact of the matter is they aren't me. I was there. They weren't there. You only know what Brenda McCabe would do, did, or recognized or not. Exactly. And, and, and Joe, maybe touch on this then, because even as you look back and you think, okay, what, what was our friend going through? Did we know what he was going through? Do you think in a way, and you can't speak for Matthew DeGroote, I understand that, but do you also think in a way people who are struggling with any kind of mental health issue they may be reluctant to come forward to friends. I think that that is um, absolutely part of what we want to create a dialogue around um, is that it can be very difficult to talk about whether it's, you know, someone admitting that they may be depressed or, or have an eating disorder or something bigger that, you know, they fear may become dangerous. Um, it's something that, that is difficult to talk about. Well, and the problem is alienation at the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, we, so like right now, Joe and I are part of like a community or whatever you want to call it. Like the, this network of people who have been linked through an awful event. And so like that's a precarious arena to be in already. And there's like so many different volatile players. And even within that, with the context of everyone's gone through this together, it's still difficult for us to even speak with one another openly about how we feel and how this has impacted us beyond just like, the conventional grief and, and that sort of thing. And so, like, my article is even, like, I would consider that a part of, like, my my process of, like, like I'm processing these things through, through the that. article, yeah. And and so that's, like, my, my position right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been difficult for a lot of people to, like, be faced with that, um, especially given my proximity. And, and I don't know, I... If it's, if it's that difficult for people that are this connected to it... I can only imagine that it's much, much worse on a larger scale for like, like a larger society.
I know, Brendan, in your article you write about um, similar symptoms p- to PTSD. I mean, this was post-traumatic considering what you went through. Yeah, at this Even, point, Matt and I both have, have been diagnosed with PTSD. Matt and you. Yes. And, and Joe, I'm, I'm not sure how, how you're doing, but that same idea because you can talk about, you can talk about depression. You can talk about um, the, the lack of wanting to do anything, the concern you have with nightmares and flashbacks and everything else. Do you understand when Brendan says that, that he feels he's struggling with the same thing that Matt's been diagnosed with? I understand completely, yeah. Um, there's a whole group of us, some of us who were there, some of us who weren't, um, who have still developed many similar symptoms. Um, and it's, it's different for everyone. Um, everyone's experience, even with the same labeled mental you know, disorder, is, is there's some similarities, there's some differences. Um, and like, just to put this into context, like there are certain things like with this case, especially, and like, I can only speak for myself. I can't even speak for Joe, but like for myself, it's not that I was lucky or anything, but like the whole way that these events panned out, there was finality for me. Like I was there for the entirety of it. I saw everything happen. And so like to be there and understand all that, I have some closure. That's or, something and, that we have that a lot of other people don't. Yeah, and a when lot you're of other. Talking about the trial, the the court process, or just that like far? that night, like that people, night, people right. like like imagine losing a loved one by like them leaving your house. They go to a party or something, and then they just never come home. Yeah. That's the last time that you see them. Right. And so, like the fact that I got to spend a night with these people before it happened and everything, that means a lot to me and like to our friends as well. But I think it's almost more difficult for those people who were there all night had a good time with us, and then they went home. They didn't get that, mm. that closure and the finality. And, like, for yeah. some people, I'm sure that's a blessing, and for some people, that wasn't. And it's just kind of the way that it goes. And I, I want to stop there uh, for a news break here, but, Brendan, just mentioning uh, the family who would have said goodbye to their loved ones, thinking you're just going to have a great time at Brendan and Joe's, and they don't come home. After the break, I, I want to find out, what you're you're hearing from family, friends of those victims, and whether or not they're able to talk about the mental health issue as well. I, I think it would be a different conversation. 403-974-8255. You can continue to send your texts. We will take some phone calls after 3.30. I'm Angela Cocott. My guests, Brendan McCabe and Joe Renault. We are back after this. And welcome back. We are talking about, well, I'm going to go so far as to say the stigma around mental health in our society. And my guest, Brendan McCabe, Joe Renault, they were, well, they were renting the Brentwood house back in April of 2014 when, sadly, Matthew DeGrood killed five friends. And uh, since then, Brendan, just recently writing a column in the, uh, vice.com is the website. The headline, if nothing else, will get your attention. My friend killed five people in my home, but I won't call him a monster. Brendan, I've got a lot of texters who have no problem calling Matthew DeGroot a monster. Why uh, will you not go that far? Um, well, people need to understand that like the, the conversations around this, especially in terms of public discourse, have consequences. Um, the stigma, although they may be fine calling Matt a monster, that's fine. Um, unfortunately, the stigmas and like the attitudes towards mental illness, so whether it's schizophrenia or depression or anxiety, PTSD, it doesn't matter. Those stigmas stick with, with the illness, not the person. And so anybody else suffering from depression, schizophrenia, those sorts of things will have to be put through this, this grueling process of thinking in their head and often having it reaffirmed, whether it's online or just people in public or worse, newspapers and stuff saying that, like, oh, yeah, this person has schizophrenia. Schizophrenia equals monster. Yeah. 
And that's a huge problem. And that's part of the reason why people are so reluctant to get help and to identify the fact that they may or may not have mental health issues or worse to even reach out to their friends and say like, Hey, I'm worried about you and not mean it in like an invasive or or a rude way, but say like, I care about you. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. Well, and I know I've got uh, a number of texters who think that Matthew DeGrood should have been executed going so far as that. Uh, Joe and Brendan touched on it saying, you know, all right, if you want to be critical of the, the criminal justice system, but at this point, Matthew has been declared not criminally responsible. And every year they're going through the appeal process. And the most recent one was... And I know the way it was termed, he was asking for more freedom. And a lot of people are saying, what freedom do the dead victims have? I want to know what you've heard from friends and family since both you and Brendan have been fairly public in saying that we, we've got to have this conversation about mental health and what Matthew was going through. So I'm, I'm just curious what you've been hearing. Yeah, so I, mean, I finished my degree off in in uh, sociology of crime and of I studied I studied penal policy and I minored in psychology, um, so I have I have my own opinions about about what the uh, the best outcome in a case like this should be, but um, those are not always useful to talk about in a situation like this because there are so many people who are are still very very much in pain as a result of this. Um, people who are angry, um, and I, uh, it's not my place to to tell them that they shouldn't be angry. Um, I have nobody should should tell another person what their grief should look like. Um, everybody has a different process that they need to go through, um, but but it has been it's hard for us to see and to hear when when we talk about this and as we try to sort of create a progressive and a constructive conversation. Um, a lot of a lot of feedback from people who who are hurt by us doing that. Um, Brandon, That's very hard. Yeah, when you hear people saying um, this should be in the criminal justice system, this shouldn't be, he shouldn't be um, treated the way he is as not criminally responsible, it's an out. Uh, you've got some pretty strong thoughts on, on the criminal justice system as it is right now. Yeah, I mean, like, if people want to say that, that's fine. Uh, that's their opinion. Unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that it, it's not a criminal justice issue anymore. It's gone through the courts. Um, now, with that said, there are like people want to use this case and like the case of Vince Lee and stuff to to push for more stringent punishments for these sorts of crimes um, to eliminate, like you said, the out of NCR. Um, I don't really believe that it's an out. So to say that is ridiculous. But also on top of that, if people want to try and use this case as some sort of uh, reason to tighten up these laws, as someone who has been directly impacted by them, I will be as vocal as possible to to oppose that um, simply because I don't think it will work. Uh, and on top of that, it's it's a very regressive view to have. And what's interesting is when you ask about the families and the friends and things, I think I've seen it a huge outpouring from the like from friends and stuff. Um, I haven't spoken to the families and I, I didn't plan to reach out to them after this. they They know where I'm at and they can reach out when they want to, and I'll, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with them. Um, it's harder to hear from, like, friends and stuff that don't agree with me that just want to say, uh, like, hurtful things or whatever and not have a dialogue, especially, like, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what Joe and I are trying to do. If you don't want to engage in that dialogue, that's fine, but that's, that's the best that we can do. 
I'm getting a number of texts that I can share. There are texts that I choose not to share, 403-974-8255. And sometimes I'm criticized for what? You're not going to share my thoughts on this? No, some of these texts are downright hurtful. And if you want to pick up the phone and share those thoughts, that's one thing. But uh, for people who hide behind a text... I, it, it's back to this conversation. Uh, it's it's whenever I want to talk about mental health that people say, okay, these guys are light. What? Depression. Shake it off. What's your problem? So if you've got a society with those views and someone legitimately, and I want to share a very powerful text in just one moment. If you've got people who are saying, I, I am troubled, but wait a second, everyone around me thinks I'm a snowflake. I'm getting that a few times. Where do I turn? So uh, I'm setting it up that way, but you can continue to text. Um, I do read them. I just don't share them. Uh, a text here, though. My mom is a nurse, and she still doesn't know how to reconcile my depression and anxiety because I was, quote, unquote, normal and average. And, Brendan, I don't know if you want to address that or not, but that is... This is from um, someone who's saying my mom was in the healthcare system and she has a hard time understanding that this person is dealing with depression and anxiety. Totally. I mean, like I said in the article, my family's also in healthcare. My dad's a doctor and my mom's a nurse. And uh, because of this this event, um, three of their kids now have issues with mental health. And I can say that as two professionals as well, they've also struggled with what it means to have children with mental illness, to have loved ones with mental illness. And that's not a weakness. I mean, it's a difficult thing to deal with. And there's nothing wrong with saying like, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is tough. It's not a black and white issue. The, the difference is like, are we willing to have the conversation to allow us to move to that point? Or are we just going to keep it in the black and white? Like you're, you're a snowflake or you're not. Uh, Joe, do you have a comment on that one? I think part of, um, and we touched on the stigma earlier, and it's tied back into this, I think something that um, I think we both want to push for is, is education about, about mental health as well, so that you know, more people who understand more about I mean, whatever the topic is, eating disorders, depression, whatever, the more people understand, the easier it becomes to talk about it and to, to reconcile it when, it when it happens close to home for you. Another text here. Hi, Ange. My son was invited to the Brentwood House Gathering along with his friends that perished. Fortunately, my son was too tired, decided not to attend on that evening. Now my son lives with survivor's guilt to the point he has had to get professional help, prescribed medication. My son tells me that he feels that he could have made a difference had he been there. As my son stands six foot four, weighs 230 pounds, my son feels that he should have been there to stop what happened. Survivor's guilt is not an easy thing for our family to deal with, and it is an ongoing issue day by day. Thank you, and that's coming from Jack. So that's someone who is saying, my son wasn't even there, and he's dealing with survivor's guilt. Yeah, and that's, I mean, like... A trauma, a trauma like this in, inflicts the social body. Like, it really does. And it, it, in, like, such a profound way. Um, and see, like, the, the, the reason why I want to be able to have these sorts of discussions is so that people like that can reach out to the people around them and say, like, I'm struggling with this, even though they may not be involved. And, like, I know I've, I've met people who are on, like, on the one side, they don't want to say that they're having problems because they figure that there are people like Joe and I out here that are having much worse problems. Right. And we're here, like, I'm here to say, like, no, nah, we're all in this together. We all need to work together on this. But on top of that, I mean, it's okay to say that something like this, and it doesn't have to be this event, too. It, I mean, exactly. like, people have depression I mean, and mm-hmm. stuff about any other, but, but 
mental illness in general, just saying like we need to be able to talk about these things and it's not about having like a single day to do it. It's not about tweeting about it or anything. It's about having a genuine connection with the people around you. I'm glad you mentioned that because no, we're talking about this because Brendan and Joe were part of that tragedy, but really it doesn't have to get to this and hopefully because we're having this conversation, it won't get to this point. I've got some phone calls I want to get to after the break. 403-974-8255 as well as some texts that I want to share. Brendan McKay Joe Renault are my guests. We are back after this. And I do, I do know we're probably going to run out of time because suddenly we've just had a, a slew of phone calls and text messages. But one here. My son developed sudden onset schizophrenia. It was less than a week from when we started to notice he was acting odd. Ended up in hospital for a month. You just never know. Brendan, Joe, I don't need to get a response from you. This is exactly what you've been uh, talking about for the last hour. So let's try to get a few phone calls in here. 403-974-8255. Hi, Tony. Hi there. Hi. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, uh, we grew up in a society where it was um, important, especially for men, to be the strong, silent types. And I had uh, a best friend lose his battle to depression of 25 years, about two years ago now. And he was the strongest man I ever knew. He was my hero. And to think that something like that could grab a hold of someone who you know just holds this image of being strong and independent and mental health is no joke and i think it's it's overlooked quite often just for that same reason that i had mentioned that we grew up in a society where it's important to be you know strong silent types and just to keep plugging away put your head down and not talk about your problems yeah no tony thanks so much for sharing that because i'm getting lots of texts from people saying what what's your problem put your head down don't worry about it one person here says the issue of mental health depression specifically hits very close to home today yesterday i received word that my cousin's husband a well-known successful entrepreneur in ottawa hanged himself in their home on tuesday he dealt with serious bouts of depression before but always seemed better when immersed in his business traveling worldwide the past six months had been tough good days and bad sad days despite regular visits to his doctor and being told to take a month away from work a recent change in medication did nothing for him he lost the sparkle in his eye and enthusiasm for his company's work and his family we are all devastated but like many knew nothing of the demons he faced on a daily basis i'm going to just try to keep getting some more phone calls in here 403-974-8255 hello rebecca hi what are your thoughts um, well, first off, I guess I want to preface this by saying I went to high school with um, your two guests now and then also with a bunch of the um, people who were lost in the tragedy. And um, this issue of mental health also really hits close to home with me as well. Um, I have a friend who used to work out in B.C. with people who had um, were being reintegrated into society after being found not criminally responsible because of mental health. Um, what I'd like to point out is that that doesn't mean that these people got off the hook, that they're not facing any consequences, but also that, um, you know, it's not like these people who have been found not criminally responsible are just out to be free in society. They're being rehabilitated, but then also in what my friend described as what's essentially jail just with more doctors. Hmm. So I just really want to get away from the idea that because he's not criminally responsible doesn't mean that he's not facing consequences, but then it also, you know, just he's not gotten off scot-free. 
but I'd really love to see a guy like Matt, who sounded like a great person, you know, get the help that he needs. And I think that our society is just missing so much of that. Rebecca, thanks so much for your call. Brendan, Joe, do you want to comment on that before we take a quick break? Uh, I think that, that, that kind of hits an L on the head. I mean, anyone who, who knows anything about like how these like this process goes knows that Matt right now is still sitting in a cell. He's still isolated from people. He still doesn't have privileges. And like the, the last hearing, his privileges are being able to walk out onto like a, a piece of grass, which really in the grand scheme of his rehabilitation into society is like so, so small. And so, like, that should really be seen not as a freedom, but, like, as, like, a litmus test almost for if he's even able to, like, go outside of, like, the walls of the compound. All right. It is 3.51. Let's check traffic. Uh, let me get a couple of texts in here, and then we'll get back to the phone calls. And I suffer from depression and anxiety. What people need to remember is that this is a chemical imbalance. It's not like we chose to be this way. Trust me, I would much rather not be afraid of just about every person I meet. My brain is pre-wired to think on the negative. So yes, I take medication, and I talk to friends. Uh, to keep myself going. Society has done itself a disservice when we remove institutions for those with severe mental illness. It is a fallacy to believe that everyone can function in a normal society. There are those whose brains just can't and they need permanent supervision. I'll write that texter. And one more here. Um, the Gruden may be mentally ill and I definitely do not think he should be executed but he should never ever have freedom again. He's too dangerous. He needs to be comfortably detained for the rest of his life. Brendan, Joe, either of you have a comment on that? That's super expensive. <laughs> to comfortably detain someone. That's like, if I'm the, not even a The goal is to prevent harm from coming from him ever again. That, that's, that's not the most effective way to do it. It's, there are better ways. We, we know that people who are found NCR and then who are later released are actually less likely of committing any violent offense than you or I sitting here in the radio station. And also, like I wrote in my article, that people who are like are more likely with mental health issues are more likely to be uh, victims of violence than to perpetrate violence themselves. So Let's get in a couple of more phone calls here. Hi, Mike. I uh, just want to commend your two guests for coming on today. Um, I, I work in emergency services, so I know about PTSD. I dealt with uh, a lot of the stuff, uh, although not what they've been through on a personal level. Um, NCR is not somebody getting off the hook. We need to look at this much closer and try and do preventative work as opposed to uh, after the fact. Uh, but, uh, you know, you guys are doing an awesome thing today, and thanks for being there. Thanks, thank Mike. Yeah, thank hey, you very much. Mike, thanks so much for that. Uh, let me see if I can get one more phone call in and uh, squeeze a couple of texts in. Bernice? Hi, Bernice. Yes, Hi. Uh, this is a hard call for me. Um, mental health is so neglected. My 17-year-old grandson committed suicide a month and a half ago, and uh, he had an appointment with at the Children's Hospital three days before this happened, and they would they didn't have time to see him. I don't know that that would have prevented it, but it might have. Bernice, uh, I am so sorry for your loss, and thank you so much for sharing your story. 
And you know what, Bernice touches on what we started talking about is that whether it's the Matthew DeGroods, the the people who are just living with depression, is our mental health care system ready to take them on? And you can hear the heartbreak in Bernice's voice. One final uh, text here. Dan here, you're doing a great job with this topic. This is long overdue. Don't worry about the negative comments. They're just hiding from their own problems. Brendan, Joe, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Thanks for having us. We've got news coming up next. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.